Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Partner Buzz, the AWS partner-focused podcast in Australia and Aotearoa, New Zealand. My name is Richard Wilmot, and in addition to being your host for today, I'm a partner management solution architect here in Sydney. Partner Buzz is a podcast series for people in both technical and business leadership roles within our AWS partner network community throughout the ANZ region. We'll be taking a deep dive into a wide range of topics to better inform and also, we hope, entertain our community as we build together for our joint AWS customers. Today, I'm joined by Mary Law, and Mary is our data enablement leader with responsibility for the APJ region. She's also a leader and an advocate passionate about making STEM more accessible and representative through the AWS SheBuilds program. Mary, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So to kick us off, your current role at AWS as APJ Partner Enablement Lead for Data Analytics, what does that entail? What's a typical day look like for you? Yeah, so this is actually a new role that I'm in. Um, I have been at AWS for four years, three months, and 10 days. Wow. So this is my fourth <laughs> role at AWS. Amazing. Yeah, so um, the role actually entails enable our customers, partners on the data foundation and how to make data more accessible and then to leverage data foundation to do more fancy like a Gen AI. Nice. So I think often at AWS, we talk about data having gravity for yeah. our customers. Um I presume your role has a lot about helping take that data gravity and unlock value for customers through that. Take us through a bit of um, what that actually means for our customers and partners. Yeah, so I've been in the data industry for a lot of years. Um, I'm not <laughs> going to share how long, otherwise I would disclose my age. But um, one thing with the data is like once you have the data, right, mm-hmm. um, you can start doing a lot of things. And when we talk about data has gravity, it means one thing leads to another. For example, yeah. let's just say like 20 years ago when we have the IT looking after all the ETL job, right, it's tend to stay with the IT. But now as we kind of like working in the cloud industry, we know there's a lot of data, not just within the organization, but external as well. So when we talk about data has gravity, once you have the data within your organization, you can do so much more, not just for your own team, but other intercompany team, and even to externalize that with your partners or some of the vendors that you actually work with. So it's really about it enabling what we need to to actually grow our business and unlock it, thinking about what the feasibility is with the data that we've got to actually create value rather than just run our businesses like we see it today. That's amazing. So moving on to enablement, Mm -hmm. Um, what does enablement look like? Why why do our customers and partners need that enablement? Yeah, so I guess um, coming in the AWS land, right, we have a lot of different services. But when we talk about uh, some of the enablement, we have to be put it into a really holistic approach, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, a customer wanting to have this whole new data platform. Um, Sometimes you may just want to give them a data warehouse, but take them a back a step back, right? Mm. I mean, talk about, hey, what is the bigger picture here, right? And when we talk about enablement, it's not just about enabling how to use a particular service, right. but how do you actually take that data going back to identify the business use case or to get the business buy-in so you actually have the whole company and everybody as part of the organization to be behind this kind of what we call a data culture um, organization. Amazing. So it's actually building that enablement of that whole data lifecycle rather than just enablement on those AWS services, which are critically important, but they're only just one part of one, that puzzle. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. Amazing. So it's actually more like the data-driven transformation that often we, we hear talk of. 
Yeah, so so at AWS we have uh, something called a data driven everything, right? When we right. talk about um, building a data driven culture, it mm. usually starts with treating data as an asset, right? If you look into organization like a table or chair, it's actually an asset yeah. where everybody share, everybody owns. If you put about the data into the mindset of data as an asset. Mm. All the organization or different department can actually start using the asset to make more, um, to be more productive with that particular asset. I think this is really interesting because partners, from our conversations previously, partners really need to care because, you know, it's we often talk a lot about modernization and migration mm. with our partners, which is absolutely critical. But once our customers have gone through that migration journey, really the next stage to create value is actually taking that data treating it as an asset and using it to create further value for those new use cases we, we haven't really imagined yet. 100%. So if you look at, um, at Amazon, right, we have something called the flywheel. Yeah. Especially with the scale of Amazon, we do a lot of these uh, innovation like on behalf of the customers. You take the feedback and then you keep making product better. The same thing with data, right? Mm. Let's just say we initially we start off with a little data warehouse in one of the team, maybe merging the merged, uh, the batch data with the real-time data. Mm. But as your use case keep growing and like you have more assets, you can actually share some of those data with another team, like for example, marketing, so that they can do their own campaign or finance so they can actually share the data with the account payable or receivable. And you keep getting the feedback from different users um, so you actually kind of democratize the data mm-hmm. so that you can actually keep building this data culture within your organization. And then you actually like adding more different components to it. For example, it all started with a data warehouse. Mm-hmm. But now with marketing, I can now do my cross-sell if I can do some predictive, hey, um, when should we run the campaign? Yeah. Or from the account payable, when sh- would um, should we do some fault detection or some kind of mm-hmm. um, those kind of analysis? So you keep building onto it um, so that you actually have like a, that bigger scale of impact at the organization. So I think the reality from what you described is really because of this flywheel touches every part of the business, really there's no part of the business that doesn't drive additional value once you get data as part of an integral part of how we do business. 100%. And this is why when we talk about um, you, we all have been hearing all this buzzy Gen AI, right? But Gen AI is great because we mm. actually save a lot of time. Say, like in the past, I worked with data scientists and we would need all the compute we need to build all this model. Now with Gen AI, we have some foundational model. Yeah. But to make the best use out of the Gen AI, it's, it can only be as good as it gets with the data that you have so that you can actually provide additional context to it. So that's a really important point, which I think, speaking to our partners especially, we need to be very much aware of, because obviously Gen AI is is a very hot topic for, for good reason right now. It, it will be transformational. But in order to get great outcomes leveraging Gen AI, that foundation of good data hygiene, data engineering, from what you said, is really a critical part of that journey. Unpack that a bit for us. Well, so let me give you this example. So I built my first chatbot five years ago. There was no LLM. We have to put together a lot of the data from from the source. Now, with the data that we have, right, and you still have to train, provide your additional insight. For example, let's just pick this chatbot for a student recruitment. Mm. Um, so the student intern can actually talk to this chatbot, get some information. Now, if your organization does not have a lot of great data governance in terms of, hey, what kind of information we can share, or even like... Um, the right context. Right. Even with the Gen AI, you may have some situation in as to what we call hallucination, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe someone can be asking this chatbot, hey, um, can you, I don't find an office in Adelaide, what should I do? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then the chatbot may be saying, hey, go and check the FAQ, even though your organization may not even have an FAQ. Right. So okay. this is where you, someone with the domain knowledge, needs to be able to like, work with the um, LLM to get the best out of that chatbot to be more productive. Because essentially, as we start talking about services that allow you to um, extend existing foundation models, you need to make sure you've got very high quality data that's well governed, well structured going 100%. into that. So otherwise, you aren't going to get the outcomes that you're really looking for coming out the other end. Yes. Nice. Okay. Um, it's interesting that when I Sometimes when we when we hear our partners talking about the data and analytics journey, when they get involved with customers, sometimes customers have um, uh, tend not to focus on that outcome. Mm. Um, I know you and I were speaking previously about yep. you know sometimes there's a, a customer might feel they've got uh, a particular vendor solution in mind, and then almost trying to retrofit that to a problem. Um, some of the work that you've done through through the data driven everything is really mm. helping our customers and partners understand how to work backwards from that that core problem. Take us through some of those steps which you find really helpful. Yeah, so I guess with all the problems that a customer may have, going mm. back to applying our principle, right, working backward, right? So what is the biggest problem that the customer have at the moment? They may, okay, they may pick a technical techno, technology tooling, but there's got to be a bigger problem behind the back, right? For example, yeah. they're not getting faster insight or they're not actually getting the insight so that they can make a very informed decision, right? Mm -hmm. For example, um, let's just use um, utility as an example. Right. Um, let's just say we need to know where to fix the meter, the, the meter, the, mm -hmm. the gas meter, for example. So if we don't have the problem of if we don't identify the problem, right, the problem being, okay, I need to dispatch some crew to repair the meter, but mm -hmm. I don't know where I should go or how do I optimize that? That's one of the problems where um, we need to work out with the customers. Like, not just to like, what big problem do you have, right? Mm -hmm. What is the biggest challenge that's stopping you from achieving the set of goal that you wanted to achieve? Um, when you pick a technology sometimes we can pigeon ourselves not just think of that particular problem maybe for now mm. but have we think about maybe 35 years or do with the scalability right as the volume of the data grows um, is that technology solution still be relevant and applicable mm. and I think You've hit the nail on the head because fundamentally, unless we're working backwards from specific customer use cases, some very, very specific customer problems, so we can demonstrate value, the choice of technology or the tooling is actually largely irrelevant because unless you've got the right tool for the job, you really can't do it the other way around. So if, for example, you're going into an engagement with uh, an idea or a preconceived bias on what the right tool is without researching the use case, you're probably going to get into some trouble, aren't you? Yes. And then you have to think about... Um the customers, uh, the technical capability themselves, right. right? I mean, how much of like, when we talk about change, right? This mm -hmm. is all about the process change, people's change, and how do they actually factor into that whole big picture as well? And this is why I think sometimes taking customers through that data-driven everything, have we got enough data point? Have we identified the right use cases? Um, and then how do we actually help customers to kind of like come up with the use cases that they can actually exp experiment more, mm -hmm. right? You, you have a bigger picture. This is where you think big, right? But you actually start with a very small use case that you know that you can actually prove to your stakeholders or you can actually prove your hypothesis, mm. right? And then you scale with the cloud technology. Like this is where we can actually scale really fast. Makes a lot of sense because ultimately what we're doing is we're taking a customer on a journey because if data is touching absolutely every part of the, of the business, it is a transformation of sorts. So you can't just 
go all in on that transformation, there will be iterations that are required to to start to prove value because that journey is going to be involving you know people, process, and tooling. It's not just about the technology, is it? Yep. And this is where you need to have the different team involved. Like the example that I mentioned about, like the marketing yeah. or the finance, right? This is where you can actually constantly get some feedback into the process and to see whether you actually need to make any adjustment or get additional data source that you may need. Mm. Like all things, it's that 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 iterative process that grows over time. Um, and also, I think coming back to having that really good use case that you choose first up front, it might not always be a technical use case. Generally, it probably won't be mm-hmm. because to demonstrate value to the business stakeholders, which is where a lot of our partners will be engaging when they talk about data. Um, I know traditionally it, it it was often the case that the marketing departments, um, MarkTech was looking at data first figuring out that this is a better way to to communicate and and reach customers. So you'll be dealing with non-traditional um, uh, customer profiles or personas in customers, I presume, as well, yeah. because you wouldn't always be dealing with, with technical stakeholders. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, thinking about how the importance of that iterative approach is key. I know you do a huge amount of um, enablement on um, serverless analytics uh, technologies. Take us through why that becomes such an important enabler of iteration and agility. Yeah, so, so when technologies start evolve from on-premise to the cloud, we mm. thought, okay, it was like, a paradigm, right? But now, even in the cloud, you sometimes you still have to kind of spin up your infrastructure, right? Yeah. Like now with the serverless analytics, that's actually a game changer because you don't even have to worry about like how many cluster I need to spin up, right? Mm-hmm. You just you just pay by the um, processing unit, for example, mm-hmm. and this is where you can actually really experiment fast because like your team they don't actually have to learn how to. S- scale up or how what kind of conf- configuration they need to set right they just need to pick like a small medium or large and then they can start doing mm. a lot of the serverless analytics which means um, they can actually experiment a lot faster because they don't have to have going through that enablement cycle and that's amazing because we often talk about um, helping customers avoid the undifferentiated heavy lifting normally when we talk about infrastructure but now that now that we're able to apply that serverless paradigm to data and analytics as well, that's a massive enabler because ultimately in the same way that by leveraging managed services on AWS, our customers can run faster because they can get to the point that actually delivers them business value. Uh, serverless analytics is really unlocking the, the exact same benefits from compute into data analytics yeah. as well. That's and we like take Reshi for example, it actually mm-hmm. takes all the learning of the automatic table optimization into the serverless land as well. So I don't have to be like a Reshi administrator but I can actually like the system the serverless analytics will be able to optimize based on the usage and the usage pattern that's amazing and I think thinking about the effort that was required to not just you know feed and water your large uh, data warehouse the fact that you can now have that consume that on demand through redshift is is phenomenal yes. how do we how do we achieve that at that sort of scale well so I guess with the um, the learnings that we have right I mean Behind Redshift, um, there's a lot of learnings that over times that mm. we actually been learning from the customer's usage, and this is how we can actually scale as well. Um, apart from Redshift, there's also Glue and there's also EMR and Open Search as well. So mm-hmm. all these kind of uh, analytic services aim to help users to get to what they wanted to achieve faster. So really, we're aggregating all of that experience that we've had designing and building and operating the services and, and just push that outcome into the customer so they can yeah. run significantly faster. That's amazing. I, I think that's, that's something really our partners should be looking into. Um, I'd love to pivot a little bit more talking about your, um, your 
you're an advocate and a leader for, for women in technology, especially. The AWS SheBuilds program is, is a tremendous success. Um, Take us through a little bit more about the SheBuilds program. What exactly is it and how can our partners get involved? Yeah, so SheBuilds was found in um, 2018 by one of the founders, right? Um, so I actually picked this up from her like a year ago. And mm. the whole mission of SheBuilds is to empower and support more, more women and those underrepresented to take that leap into the cloud. Mm. So we aim to try to close the cloud skill gaps by right. enabling them and by giving them some mentorship programs so that they can actually take that leap into the cloud. So if you can paint a bit of a picture for our listeners, um, what, why is this a problem in, in our community today? Yeah, so if we look around us, right, I mean, especially in the technology industry, um, it's not just gender diversity, right, but yeah. we have a lot of different problem inclusion as well. So SheBuilds aim to sort of like give that woman and those underrepresented a role in the cloud technology. And when we talk about cloud technology, it doesn't actually has to be like a coder or builder, yeah. right? Or you have to write SQL or Python. There's so many roles in the cloud, for example, like the technical account manager, customer yeah. success manager. And we know for a fact the more diverse a workforce is, the more innovative we will be for We're our product. Which makes a huge amount of sense. And I think that um, as we're looking at a skill shortage uh, and, and that skill shortage will naturally become a blocker for our scale and growth within the wider partner community, um, without looking beyond where we traditionally have been recruiting people from, mm-hmm. ultimately that's going to be a, 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 an impediment to scale, won't it? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think also we know that Diversity is obviously a moral and ethical imperative. We need to do it. It's the right thing to do. But it also delivers better outcomes for our partners as well, doesn't it? Yeah. So let me give you the example. There was one project that I did uh, for one of the data science projects, right? We need to prove a hypothesis that um, in Victoria, at certain suburb, right. there tend to be a very a lot of traffic um, accident around the hour of 3 to f- three to 4 p.m. Okay. So um, when, when I was working with my team, one of the one of the guys just said, oh, I bet you it's the mum that's been driving around in those four-wheel drive around the neighborhood. And I thought, okay, okay. that's interesting. Right, Let's yeah. prove it with data. And then so happened we actually identified um, the cause of those traffic is not because of the mum being crazy driving school, four-wheel drive near the school, but it's actually those sometimes those some of those construction workers that right. start early and finish around the same time. So if we don't have a diverse workforce, um, a lot of bias will be going into a lot of these hypotheses as well. And if we look at some of the data machine learning, or we need to have a wide set of um, data set, right, to make mm-hmm. sure that so it's ethical and not just ethical, but it's actually reliable as well. It's a really amazing point that you make because without the diversive opinion, we, we leap to those conclusions and without that corrective influence that diversity can bring us, those biases are, are, are in everything without us necessarily being aware of it. And that potentially could be, um, you know, not deliver the right outcomes yeah. as well. Um, I think also what, from, from speaking to some partners uh, that I work with, they they do highlight the point that unless we've got a more representative workforce, we really don't represent our customers. You know, okay. we have gender diversity um, and cultural diversity in our custom community. We need to understand them better as well. Otherwise, we can't empathize with them 
and then work backwards from their core problems unless we understand them at a level that we can't unless we invest in that diversity, yep. which I think is very much something you and I have spoken about yes. as well previously. So um, take us through that that empathy journey, which I think is is critical w- with that diversity that comes from something like SheBuilds. Well, I think SheBuilds created this platform where we actually support our community, right? Yeah. I mean, if we look at um, some of the our community members, some of them are actually not in tech. Right. So let me give you this example. We just uh, finished this 12 weeks uh, mentorship program and many of them are actually not in tech. Um, wow. Some of them are actually like teachers. Um, I have one where she actually just moved from overseas to Australia for five months and she's been working in on-premise, right? Mm-hmm. And she wanted to make a career change to get into the cloud. And this is when she wanted to take that change and learn from some of the our mentor from AWS to understand what kind of role will be suitable for her. And and I think this kind of opened the channel for um, a lot of women out there as well. And one of the ladies I talked to, um, she was actually a child care teacher, right? Mm. But it's very interesting because she goes, if anyone need to have a very good active listening skill, I think teacher is one because you, especially with children, you have to Absolutely. be attentive. You have to listen carefully, right? Um, mm. And I think that's, Sometimes we need to remind ourselves the workplace can only be as diverse as we want to embrace and take in all others. It, it's a tremendous example that, that you quoted because I think a lot of folks, as they look at moving into tech, might feel they're starting from, from scratch. But I think the reality is that you've got a vast array of pre-existing skills yes. in your toolbox that all you're doing is just adding tech to it. You know, there, there's multiple ways into tech through the traditional route, through through um, you know mid mid career transition. But I think the thing that that folks need to understand is that there's so many soft skills that we need within the tech industry that, as you as you mentioned, through childcare, mm. that's invaluable when you're trying to build that understanding and communicate effectively in that active listening mode with with customers. That it's people with those sorts of diverse backgrounds that really can drive a huge amount of impact, I think. And like and what I'd said to her, she may be a good account manager, right? Or even a customer success manager because you you would spend the time listening to the customers, Mm. understanding the concern, right? Okay, you may not enjoy coding, but like there's other skill set that you can actually apply and take that leap into the cloud. Which is amazing. And that mentorship process that you mentioned, um, why is that important? Well I guess it's Sounding about that you can actually learn from someone who's been there, who's actually yeah. currently doing maybe not that role, but um, they can actually have the resource to connect you to. So um, so some of the mentor actually refer other people so that they can actually talk to the mentee to learn more mm. about the role that they aspire to get into. I think also something which we spoke about previously is that um, all of us suffer from imposter syndrome yeah. and, and understanding how to break through that imposter syndrome it, it's not always easy, is it? Because it's that not. can be a really, a, a very real impediment to anyone looking to to move in, especially if you aren't seeing people like yourself represented in the tech community. Yeah, so I have not applied any role that I've like throughout the years. Um, it's it's someone reached out to me, but like, and not just because I'm very good, but it's because I never think that I'll be I'll be good enough to apply for that role. Right. Like, let me give you the example. If I don't. Th- tick 12 box out of 10 in a job description I, right. I would not apply right um, and this is why sometimes we just need to think about imposter syndrome it's mm. actually real because um, but I guess the most important thing is understand what's your trigger point right. so that you can actually intercept it right so and I guess 
with my imposter syndrome because um, I actually have two brothers and all my cousins and they're all in doing accounting, right? So when mm. I was young, my, my father has this expectation that I'll be doing accounting. <laughs> Typical Asian, right? Accounting or lawyers. But um, I decided to be that black sheep so I just wanted to do uh, something different. Mm. But the imposter syndrome... It was. It came about when I was doing uni because, like, it was a lot of coding, um, and that's. And I do have a lot of males, um, right? In in back mm-hmm. in those days, so that's I guess how my imposter syndrome has kind of developed. But then I decided. Um, I actually learned very quickly, right? And and I think I understand when to intercept it is when I believe I can do something. Mm-hmm. I can do something. So I, every time when there's a little self-doubt, I just say, okay, if you get over this, it's just like a little roadblock. And, yep. But you learn something along the way. So given my whole career, I've, I stay actually at one company for 11 years, but mm-hmm. I never sit still. Every two years, I actually change role because I think um, that's the only way to push myself to mm-hmm. be comfortable of being uncomfortable. So yeah. And you learn something from each role. So my first role standing from support, right? Um, mm-hmm. The support was not easy because it was supporting the US after hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so if all the after hours is actually critical production down. Mm-hmm. But when you work in support, you actually learn how to solve problems how to think logically hey where does a problem occur when is the is there a pattern right and that's a a very unique skill set and then I actually move into consulting like Mm -hmm. that's when I actually get to talk to people right not just like over the phone support Um, and then I learn move into engineering a different kind of role Mm -hmm. so my advice to anyone is like don't be afraid to take on that challenge because you may see that as a challenge but if you put it in a different perspective it actually helps you grow um maybe to the next role or the next next role that you wanted to grow into. So it's almost like that on imposter syndrome is is you actively challenging yourself to get into that next role. Yeah. And I think from the story you've just told, being able to relate that to another person is really the power of mentorship, isn't yes, it? Yes, 100%. Be- because not everyone's going to arrive at that necessarily by themselves. Yeah. And if they could see that that their mentor was going through that same process, it makes it very relatable. I yeah, so so this lady that I share, like she moved to um, Australia five months ago, right? Mm-hmm. She doesn't believe that she can actually, like she still need to learn a lot to get into the cloud. But yeah. in the short six weeks, like she had certification. Wow. And, and I actually share with her, like when I first joined AWS, I know nothing about AWS. Mm-hmm. But what you have is some skill that is transferable. Of course. Right? And then yeah. you actually just pick on some new skill and... Mm. Keep learning, Keep learning, right? And that's, because ultimately you have yeah, to, don't we? Yeah, and especially in the cloud technology, right? <laughs> this is true. That's a very valid point because even if you come into cloud through the more traditional routes, um, continuous learning is a natural part of our life because the cloud moves so rapidly and quickly. 100%. And unless you can continue learning, um, everyone is affected in the same boat. Whether you've come from a non-traditional or traditional tech background – Everybody has to keep learning, so you're not necessarily disadvantaged all that much. If anything, if you're coming into technology, you've got some additional soft skills, which maybe a traditional technologist might not have, which I think gives you um, gives you really uh, quite an impressive edge to drive a lot of value to customers. Yes. Yeah. Um, so speaking of partners, um, how can how can partners lean in to help in your experience? Yeah, with so Shubles? I guess um, the diverse workforce is everybody's responsibility to help create one. Because right? diversity isn't just box yes, ticking; it no, actually drives not. customer outcomes. It actually drive better customer outcome. Yeah. It drive better product innovation, right? So with SheBuilds, um, we actually had a partner event not too long ago where we had like five different partners showcasing why they're the best partners to work for and they, some of the role and opportunity that they have, um, and this is where we can. Actually 
actually have our SheBuilds community to learn mm-hmm. more about the partner ecosystem. And many of them actually share they ne- never thought of share- working for partners because they did not even know what partners Right. This is true. It's not. It's not always obvious um, yeah. because not everybody understands the role that partners play in driving our customers to some really great outcomes. So I think that's a really awesome example. Um, so, also you mentioned being able to nurture and develop those talents through those mentoring processes. Mm-hmm. That would also be a critical part of that process. 100%. Yeah. So with the She Builds program, we actually have like a career program, mentorship program, right. partner program, as well as something called a tech skill. So where we actually showcase some of the technology um, or even have some of the customer to share with us what they have been using or building on AWS Mm -hmm. so that we can actually enable our community out there. What's what's the best way for partners to get in touch to to get involved with the SheBuilds program? Well, they can either get in touch with myself or we we actually have like a little LinkedIn LinkedIn page that you can actually um, connect to us. And we'll be at reInvent as well where we we will have like a kiosk at the All Builders Welcome Lounge. We'll make sure that there's also links in the show notes as well for folks to get in touch as well. That should be fantastic. Um, Mary, uh, that's really been amazing. But unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. Um, I hope it's given our audience some really good insights on how we can work better together to serve our AWS customers and drive diversity in our community. So thank you very much, Mary, for spending time with us today. Thank you again, Richard. And for me, thank you for listening to this episode of Partner Buzz. And we look forward to joining you in our next episode. Thank you. Thank you.